We're looking at uh, lost books and also like pretending to smoke pipes while we're in here. Uh, and we started this last week and uh, these books that are out of the Old Testament portion of the Bible, which are still the Jewish scriptures today, uh, we tend to not read because we don't have a Bible. We don't read because we think the Bible is boring. Or if we do have the Bible and we do read it, these ones just seem like they're way distant cultural context and don't have anything to say to us today. And then when we do read them, we don't actually like them. <laughs> if we read them and we understand them, we don't like them because they tell us to be different. They tell us to change. They tell us to go do something we're not currently doing. And if we're not doing what we're doing right now, it's because we don't want to do it. I want to try to get us to move today to new places. So God, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to see you and to see ourselves and to try different things, things that, that show to you that show you that we want to love you, we want to be more like you, and just help my time today, uh, what I speak, to be your heart and reflective of your values. And I pray these things according to your name. Amen. So let's go up to the, the bookshelf and see if we can find the lost book of Haggai right here beside the cheesy face sculpture where I can know I can actually find it. This book is written around 520 B.C., and I just want to tell you today that uh, there's going to be an interesting thing that we're going to see here because some of us might think that we can't relate to an ancient culture where they're about building a physical temple. But we can. This is what was happening. The nation of Israel had this, this physical temple, this edifice that represented their, natu uh, their national posterity and where they would connect with God. Early on their, in their history, they had a tabernacle, a portable place of worship, if you will, that they would take through the wilderness with them and set up and connect with God. And then King Solomon comes along, very, very rich king, and he goes after it with his leadership and builds, according to God's specifications, this beautiful temple where people could come and connect with God, where God's spirit in some way, shape, or form was present in the midst of this facility. Then uh, they get raided, and the nation of Israel is in constant battles. It gets eliminated and torn down, and then some generations later, it starts to be rebuilt, and then they stall and just sort of stays in a pre-construction mode. And God is really upset about this, and He communicates through, through Haggai to continue on with the work. Now, you really can't talk about building a structure or doing anything without the most obvious application, which we're going to see in here today, most obvious application of the nation of Israel adjusting their financial habits. That's the most obvious application. It's still an obvious application I want to encourage all of us to do today. I want to encourage all of us today to find something that is about the heart of God and predetermine a preset percentage and make that the priority. Make that the priority. Now God, God sees that the nation of Israel does not really love him. And you know when you love somebody, when you show it, when you actually move when you actually change and adjust your life. And the nation of Israel was saying, well, you know, we just don't have the money to, to go and, and kind of do this and build into God's plan. We, we, we just don't have that. And so what it says in the book of Haggai chapter one is this. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Well, it's just, it's just, it's just not the right time for me to sacrifice financially, for me to, to make it a financial priority. It's just not the right time. There's always a reason to not be faithful to God. Financially, relationally, in your character. There's always a reason not to do the right thing. Always is. You will always find it. There's always a reason when it comes to honoring God with your finances to not 
do it. I know today, uh, I'm thinking to myself, man, this is like, this is a weird message to give because this is like not the time to encourage people to be faithful financially and giving money away when all we hear about is bad news economically. Everyone's trying to get somebody from people financially. I feel kind of strange talking about this. Yet nonetheless, there's always a reason not to be financially involved in what God wants done. And of course, we always find money for whatever we love. Did you see that uh, December set a record for gun sales? In the midst of an awful economy, in the midst of actually the worst consumer spending month of December since 1969, gun sales are up 23%. They're up 41% in November because we're concerned and afraid that uh, Barack Obama is going to wipe out, you know, our desire to hold guns. You know, we're, we're all concerned about that. So I'm not, down, I'm not an anti-gun guy. I just think it's fascinating that in the midst of times when people think they don't have any discretionary income, we find money for what we're passionate about, whether it's guns or eating out or perhaps building into the thing of, things of God. And so here's what Haggai says to, uh, to the nation of Israel. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put clothes on, you put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Now there's a lot of things up here about planting things and all that kind of stuff that we might not relate to in our culture. I'm actually going to have a different translation for you that I invented in just a little bit. But the big thing to notice here right now is God's saying, just give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. You say to yourself, hey, um, we really can't build into God's work. But he says, look, you have these fine paneled houses. In today's vernacular, I might say, you've got granite countertops, or you've got central HVAC, or you've got new carpets. Yet, what I want to have done, my house lies in ruins. You always have money for what you want, God says. But what about building into something outside of yourself? If you think today that I'm, this is a, you know, kind of raise money for Crossroads message, it's not. Though, that's not a bad thing. Crossroads always would like to have money to build into things, and you'll see some of that a bit later. But just to disqualify that, if you think it's a crowd of Crossroads, I want to encourage you to set aside a preset percentage to Cincinnati Youth Collaborative, Compassion International, Big Brother. I see a friend of mine here, the Friars Club. Anything outside, outside of yourself that you think reflects the God, that you want to be involved in loving on people and actually loving God. And what this does is this creates, it's one of the things that creates spiritual muscle for you. It creates spiritual discipline. You know, all of us want to be great. We want to have great lives. And if you're here today, I assume that you want to be spiritually great. I assume that you want to know God. You want to be close to God. You want to sense when God likes something. You want to sense when God doesn't like something. You want to have the right words in the right situation. You want to have strength deep down when everybody around you is wilting and falling by the wayside. You want to have strength. You want to have confidence. You want to pray prayers that oftentimes God says yes to. All of us want that kind of life if you're here today or you're wondering what that might look like. And in our lottery culture, we tend to think that spiritual greatness should just be bestowed on me. Like I should just hit the lottery. I should just get it one day and all of a sudden, boom, I'm spiritually great. It's not the way it works. I've been reading a book called um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. 
As uh, oh, some of you, some one, one of you, have, uh, how many of you have ever read a Malcolm Gladwell book? There's Tipping Point, Blink, and uh, now Outliers. Good, good books. Interesting. For his book and just about every book, I've, I found out that 90% of all books, you get 90% of the content 50% of the way through. And that's the way with this. I don't know if I'll read any longer. I'm up 50% of the way through it, but it's a fascinating book. Interesting what he says. One of the things that he says is the reason why people succeed or the reason why people become great is what he calls the 10,000 hour rule. The 10,000 hour rule. Here, here's an excerpt from the book. The emerging picture from such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve the level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything, writes the neurologist Daniel Levitin. And study after study of composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, master criminals, and what have you, this number comes up again and again. And he examines some of the lives in his book, Mozart. Mozart really started to make his mark while he was naturally endowed with musical ability when he got past the 10,000 hours of practice. Great computer programmer, Bill Joy with mainframe computers, Bobby Fischer with chess, Bill Gates with programming. He catalogs these folks and says there was a threshold of after you do something for 10,000 hours, you get to a new level. Now, certainly natural talent has something to do with it. I could practice piano for 10,000 hours. I would never be as good as Stephen. And you don't want to hear me sing. I could maybe get on pitch a little more often than I do right now, but I'll never hit the pitch with regular clock-like rhythm like somebody who has natural talent. But nonetheless, no matter how much natural talent you have, 10,000 hours. This is the way it is with God. You know, we want, we, we think that somehow we're going to become spiritually great and close with God, having something deep down when we don't put in our reps, when we don't make adjustments to our lives. Obviously, if you've known God for an hour, God cares about you, God can do things in your life, you can sense God, no question about it. I, some of my greatest times with God were when I was very fresh and very new in my relationship with Him. There were incredibly pure moments, powerful moments. But I can tell you, there's nothing like when you put in your reps and you actually follow a disciplined life and train yourself, practice hearing the voice of God, do the things that nobody else wants to do, make hard decisions, endure through pain, endure through death, lean on God. There's something about digging down into something that God's placed in you through 10,000 plus hours of following Him. How about this uh, recent story with... Uh, the plane landing on uh, the Hudson River in New York. How awesome is that? Yeah, yeah you know, that, that, that's worthy of a, a, of a clap. You know, what, you know what I find interesting about it is I'm seeing news stories about what went right. I think it's interesting. What, there's a lot of things if you wanted to focus on the negative, you could see what went wrong. But there's a lot of things about what went right. And it's interesting. I never find people asking questions of how God could allow something good to happen. It's like whenever something bad happens, how could God love it? But whenever something incredibly good happens, I'm not hearing the same people going, man, how could God allow something so good to happen? How could that happen? The number of things that had to line up perfectly are amazing, amazing. To have the right pilot, 
to have the right uh, trajectory coming back, to have the right ability to just kind of turn the plane the right way, to be able to have a, a body of water that was open, to have no ferries where you wanted to land, to be able to have something that was open, to be able to come down and be able to land that plane absolutely perfect, dragging the back that comes down, to be able to have the back door when the pastors tried to get out, they couldn't get out the back door, it was jammed, so they had to go out the front door. That they got out that didn't get out the back door saved everybody's life because had they gotten that back door open, water would have rushed in and everybody would have drowned. That there were ferries right there, landed up in place where there was a ferry to come and pluck people out before people died of hypothermia. That nobody, nobody had any more serious injuries than two broken legs. Amazing, amazing. Where you see the hand of God in these things, you say, man, what went right? What went right? God was present. There was another thing that went right. There was a pilot who had an excess of 10,000 hours flying the plane. I had a pilot come up to me last night and said, you know, even though he had 19,000 uh, miles, to do what he did in the simulator is impossible, let alone to do it in real life. To, but nonetheless, his 19,000 hours putting in his reps in different circumstances, in different planes, allowed him to come down and not put the f nose too far forward or else it would have flipped over and broken in half, not to have the tail too far back or would have snapped off and, and the, 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 the water would have rushed in, but to make the perfect landing, the perfect time and have ease and peace of mind to walk up and down the aisles twice and do the right thing, that guy, Chesley Sullenberger, put in his reps. He was prepared for aeronautical greatness because he put in the time. And if you want, if you want spiritual greatness, you must put in the time. And to today's ramification, you must write the checks. I'm telling you, it will not happen any other way because we send a message to God that says, everything about my life is more important than you, God. Every last thing, my fine panel house, my blockbuster membership, my country club membership, my HVAC, my new golf clubs, my, my car, my upgraded of car, my this, my that, except you, you're always last. And if you think you can get spiritually great without making a priority, think again, you cannot. Whatever that preset percentage, that is the way this works. You know, um, Pete talked a little bit about self-awareness. Actually, he talked about how we can best behave in here. And let me just say, 8.30 folks, you are the best people in the world. Yes, 8.30 people. I'm gonna be cracking the chops of the 10 o'clock people and 11.45 people. Because they're just like, they're out of control and we like have virtually no seats. But you are awesome. Thanks for being here. Way to, way to go, way to go, way to go. Um, but you know, sometimes uh, we're, we're late every single time. And we never say here at Crossroads that if you don't come to church on a weekend, then you're going to go to hell. We never, we've never said that. We, you, you, you cannot come here for a long time. And I don't think God cares one way or the other all that much. You might not grow, but I don't think there's anything in that's important that says, if you don't go to church every week, then God's going to be upset with you. So I just assume that everybody's here because you want to grow. Well, if we want to grow, we have to be self-aware and realize when I come, continually come late, I'm not getting the most of the experience. When I leave early to beat the rush, I'm, I'm, I'm not only not getting the most of the experience, but I'm distracting people around me by climbing over them. When I'm turning off my, when I'm keeping my cell phone on, when I'm actually talking, I'm, I'm disrupting folks. And some of us in here will never respond to that. Some of us won't respond to that because we're mentally handicapped. Some of us won't respond to that because we have a clinical personality disorder that you might not even know you have the clinical personality disorder of narcissism. So some of you, now if you're mentally handicapped or you have a personality disorder and you don't respond, I understand that. But for the rest of us, but for, how do you like that for a subtle like? No, I'm serious. Uh, but for the rest of us, it might just be we lack self-awareness. 
we're not able to see what our actions are doing to ourselves and other people. This is why God says, give careful thought to your ways. Absence of self-awareness hinders greatness. Absence of self-awareness hinders greatness. They are to be self-aware, the nation of Israel. And we are to see who we are. We have a point that comes up here, don't we, folks? Absolutely, boom, should come up there. Now, this is what the nation of Israel is, uh, is wrestling with and what many of us wrestle with. Now, here's my uh, sort of modern translation, if you will, of, uh, of what he said, uh, what Haggai said to the nation of Israel. Here's what God might say to uh, the nation of America. You have invested and you have no interest. You consume, but never have enough. You party, but the buzz doesn't last. You adorn yourself, but don't feel stylish. You get a paycheck, but nothing stays in your account. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. We have to give careful thought to our ways. Assessing where our money is going, assessing where our heart is going, assessing if things are important, because our ways tell ourselves who we really are and our ways tell God what we think of him. Haggai 2.9, God says this. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. I'll read that again. Haggai 2.9. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. God says here is, is, is not only have you mismanaged your money, mismanaged your priorities, but God says here, I'm actually taking an intentional decision to come against you and blow away what you've accumulated. I'm actually noticing who you are and I'm actually coming against you and I'm making your crops not increase. What's he, what's he saying here? He's saying that obedience, obedience increases the likelihood of abundance. Obedience increases the likelihood of abundance. Doesn't guarantee it. Doesn't guarantee it. I mean, I, I can work out. I can work out because I want to get myself physically abundant. But I might have a cancer still inside of me. It's going to give me cancer no matter how many times I get on the treadmill, no matter what, you know, what. I, it doesn't guarantee that I'm going to be physically okay if I put in the reps. But it increases the likelihood of it. You know, I, could, I can have all the right conversations with my wife and, and I can, we can go to counseling. We can do all the right things. I can personally be doing all the right things in my marriage, which I'm not, by the way. But I could, I could hypothetically be doing all the right things in my marriage and not still have a good marriage because she might be attracted with somebody else and run out on me. But I'm increasing the likelihood of marital abundance, sexual, emotional abundance if I am obedient to honoring her the way God would have me. It doesn't guarantee it, but it increases the likelihood. I, I, can, I, can, I know that my brain, that my neurochemistry, as I get older, my neural pathway starts shutting down and my synaptic connections aren't firing as they should. And the older I get, the more likely I am to get senile. I am. So I know that if I'm diligent and I read books and I try new things and I learn new things, science tells me I can open up new neural pathways and lessen the likelihood that I will be senile when I turn 80 or 90 or whatever. But nonetheless, anything could happen to whack me upside the head and knock me senseless. And I'm not guaranteed to be mentally with it 
just if I read books and learn new things, but I'm increasing likely. Likewise, likewise, you can't guarantee that just because you honor God financially and you do a preset percentage that's honoring and going and loving towards people that you're going to be fine financially. But you increase the likelihood because God doesn't make the intentional decision to come against you to try to teach you a lesson. Now, we can't learn all that much about temples because God no longer dwells in physical places. There's special things that happen in this room, but God doesn't come and say, oh, this is Crossroads is the place where I reside or this place or that place. There's no buildings any longer that are more holy than any other building. What God does is he inhabits people. He inhabits individual hearts. And not only that, he inhabits groups of people that come together to be a blessing to the world. This is what the the book of uh, of Ephesians in the New Testament says. It says this. Maybe it says it over here. (laughs) Ephesians 2. All right. Must be having computer problems. Ephesians 2, 19. Uh, Consequently, uh, there it is. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So it says that God lives in groups of people where people serve one another, love one another, sacrifice for one another, where Jesus is the cornerstone of ultimate love and ultimate sacrifice. There's a special connection that you can have with people who live in different parts of the world and different parts of the hemispheres and in different time periods when people come together saying, God, I want want to be obedient to you. I want to honor you. I I want to love you. I want to be connected with you. God just says, "Do do you love me? Do you love me? And the way I know you love me is if you connect with me with other people, you show me, you engage. We had 400 people as a part of our community that actually Engage with God, engage with our world by engaging with our partner church over in South Africa. And we've been fitting, being fitted together with people from completely socioeconomic background, completely different national background. On the other side of the world, we've been being fitted together into a loving temple that's rising up and, and proclaiming to people how good God is. Let's, uh, let's do a little revisit and take a look at that. So... As I close my talk, for what you have done, I pray and I am confident that when you get to heaven, there are going to be a lot of people from my melody, people that you love, people that you touched, some of us here at Charity is going to walk out to you and say, I'm here because of you.
ever. I'm so excited to be here. I'm having a blast. The people are so nice. Makes you appreciate what you have a lot more. I think we as Americans take what we have for granted. We drive nice cars, live in nice houses. We have money. It's not an issue to us for us to go hungry or to live in poverty. And being here, you get to see the other side of it and how the things you have, you should not be consumed by them. You should be consumed by God and His love and helping others. It's been amazing. I've never gardened before. <laughs> never picked up a shovel. I'm one that doesn't like to be dirty. I'm always washing my hands. So it's been amazing to just get in the dirt and get dirty and not care what I look like or if my clothes are dirty. We're here uh, to provide medical and dental services the best way that we can under the circumstances and with uh, uh, the equipment and supplies that we have uh, all volunteers to just provide health care for very, very, very underserved uh, people in Mama Lodi. I came with expectations, I tried not to, but, but I came with expectations and I realized that don't expect anything but, but expect great things to happen and that's exactly what's happening here. Not only are we able to provide good services to, to the best of our capabilities, but we are, we are being nourished spiritually, uh, emotionally, so, mu so much that, that I feel, a lot of us, most of us probably feel that we're receiving more than we're giving. Love makes strange enemies, makes love when love may please. Soul in its striptease, hate brought to its knees. This is the church where they have their church service and, and worship. And today we are here with the children from around the township that have come in. And we are just loving on them and playing with them. And um, we're actually doing some face painting. We're making necklaces with beads and, and pipe cleaners. We're um, doing fingernails for the girls. And we're doing jump rope and just loving on them. And we'll, we'll also do some songs and we'll have a presentation for them. to build my grandmother a house. Uh, it's a nice experience because uh, it's never happened before in my uh, in our lives. Manza wele pesuito. Mara kube ne chenchi si eshega mi kiboni mvula inanga panze inga gawe It became a huge change because 
The first time when we were in that house, when it rained, I was just looking up and thinking maybe some, somewhere there would be holes like when I was living in a shack. But it became such a huge change that I just sat there and just thanked God for the rain. about people from Cincinnati is how they just dance so random without any rhythm you know like I come from a place where rhythm is everything and when you guys come over and you lack a bit of rhythm it's kind of it's, it's kind of scary it's really kind of scary but you guys are starting to come along okay and <laughs> hopefully you'll be okay probably the next time you come over You know, don't go anywhere. We're like almost done. Because oh, you, you took so long, we're almost done now. Oh my gosh. Sure, yeah. <laughs> as I told you, you, take as long as you want on that. That's good stuff. Um, you know, what we saw right there is a holy temple being fitted together with people who are going, people who are moving, people fitting together with different cultures. That, that's what God does. And, and I've never been on a Go Mama Lodi trip. I, I never have. Never, I've been to South Africa, but I've never been on a Go Mama Lodi trip. I've never been to India. I've never planned on going to India. Um, but nonetheless, I can celebrate in the midst of that because I know regardless of people raising $3,000 to make that happen, none of that happens. None of that happens without average everyday people that fuel the infrastructure that begins those things and starts those things. It's the infrastructure behind all of that stuff that happened, the staff hours that are, that are spent, the communication uh, amount, the, the, the amount that we send to South Africa on a regular basis, the amount that, that builds children here and builds volunteers here to create volunteers to go over. And I, and I feel God's love in, those, in the midst of that. And I feel like I'm doing that because I make a preset percentage commitment and it ever grows ever more and ever more as my love grows. And as I do this, I just get closer to God and I sense Him more and more to greater degrees. Um, one more verse I want to read from you from, uh, from Haggai. But just let me say this. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past in terms of setting money aside or in terms of honoring your spouse or in terms of what you've done sexually with people who you're not married to or in terms of how you've treated people or in terms of any blundering mistakes you made. God wants to hit the reset button. It just warms his heart when somebody just out of love just comes to him and humbly says, God, um, can, I, can I start fresh? Got a letter from somebody just a couple weeks ago who uh, has uh, been making a, an effort to uh, just 
come against me and to, and to tarnish my reputation and using the internet to do these things and just as just kind of going after me just really, really hard. And something struck him. I've never met the person. I, I opened up my mail and I got a letter from him and, and, and the letter just had a humble apology and just said, sorry. And my heart just melted for the guy. It's like my heart melted. Like, I don't care whatever happened in the past. My heart's just melted. That's what God's like when we come to him. No matter what we've done in the past, how we've mismanaged things in the past, when we come humbly and say, I want to start fresh, it melts his heart. And the nation of Israel does this. They actually set a stone and start rebuilding. And here's what it says. God says in Haggai 2, Give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? And until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I'll bless you. From this day on, from you moving and having a contrite, humble, loving heart, whatever that is for you, whatever it is that you need to move on, I promise you it is not easy or you would have moved by now. But I promise you that is the thing that could unlock new things with you and God. And that is the thing that's going to help you get your 10,000 hours in and go beyond. God, I just pray that you would continue to touch us and grow us and move us beyond where we are right now and that we would take lessons, this lesson from the lost book of Haggai. Hear these words and hear these prayers set to music right now. The shackles are undone. 